just want to ride on my motorcycle. Okay, and welcome. It's NoCo Moto episode 28. I'm your host, MotoGP. With me is our other host, Swiggy. Yep. And joining us again is Dr. Mike Action. Hey. Let's talk bikes. So we've got some pretty damn cool emails to go through, right? Uh, before that, actually, I want to talk about some cities again. We got a listen from Peru. I'm yeah. pretty sure I saw one from Bulgaria as well. And we've noticed some, e- uh, some listens coming in from New Zealand. Also, way to go, Australia. Uh, you're catching up with the UK in listens. So people in Australia are telling other people about the show in Australia, and everyone should follow their superstar example is basically what you're saying. Come on, England or UK. Get your shit together. Australia's catching up to you in a very short amount of time, like the last month. So... Yeah, and then let's go to, again, the emails, which we got, which are super cool. So we want to start with one from Matthew, who we read an email from last week, sent us the most amazing Craigslist ad that I've seen for quite some time. Should we just read this? It said, so this is an ad for a 96 Yamaha VMAX and the guy's asking $1,500 for it. I think he said it was what? Once you learn the details, you'll realize that that is horrifically overpriced. Yes. So it says, you're looking at a 1996 Yamaha VMAX that 20 year old me thought was a good idea. 36-year-old me wants my daughter to grow up knowing her dad, so it's time for it to go. So, you know, starting out fairly normal here, right? It says, I bought this beast wrecked. This is how quickly it starts going off the rails. It took a hit to the left side, bent the frame, and took a chunk out of the rear head. We put it on a frame machine and got it as straight as a slightly bent arrow. Head was replaced with a used one. So this motorcycle got T-boned at some point. I have to assume so someone was riding it, it got T-boned, and then he bought it as it had been T-boned, right? So the front end is off of a Jixer something, he says. So this was some crash that this bike was in. He says he built some fork extensions on an antique lathe and then made an aluminum clamp to help keep things rigid. Okay. You'll see some stops welded on the frame to keep the forks from hitting the radiator. All right. This setup handles surprisingly well and gives the bike the turning radius of a crew cab long box. So he's selling us pretty hard on this piece of crap. (laughs) At least it's honest advertising. Yeah. He says, the first time you try to turn sharp at low speed, you'll probably tip over. I almost did. If you keep your hands on the bars, it's smooth. But let go around 40 and it'll start to shake. Probably a tire balancing issue. <laughs> uh, maybe. 
That may be one of many issues. One of many, yeah. Since the front end was sketchy, I figured I might as well make the back end match. I cut the center out of a Hayabusa wheel and had a local shop weld the center in from the VMAX wheel. Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, that is so much more work than it's worth doing, right? So he's taken, like, the rear center hub, like, you know, because I'm, I'm guessing the rear axle didn't match or something, right? And he's had it welded in. I, I don't know why. There must have been some other aftermarket wheel he could have just bought instead. Well, Peter, what do you expect him to do? Go find some $4 bearings to match the outer diameter, yeah. inner <laughs> diameter of a Busa wheel to make the axle fit? Are you yeah. insane? Yeah, right? He notched the swing arm to clear and still had to put one or two washers between the wheel and gearbox to keep it from rubbing. Gearbox. Now, that's because this is shaft drive. He's talking about the shaft drive, not the gearbox, right? Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Since a tiny tachometer wasn't cool, I put an automotive tack where the speedometer was and a bicycle speedo where the tack was. Dot, dot, dot. Why wouldn't you? I don't know. I can think of a lot of good reasons. Like, you may want to know what your actual tack and speed is, for example. It has a Yamaha Venture gearbox on it right now. So this is weird. He mixed up the gearbox with the final drive with the shaft drive system, but now he's talking about the actual gearbox. So this dude's on pills. And it's a Yamaha Venture gearbox. He says that was put in to lower engine RPM, but he'll throw in the VMAX gearbox too. Progressive shocks. I mean, I would hope the it was uh, you know, the Jixer had progressive shocks. Corbin seat, and then this is interesting. Stage seven jet kit. Stage seven jet kit. So VMAX carburetors, as we know, are very special carburetors that require a lot of very careful tuning. Hence, you know, the whole VMAX system, right? So what is this Stage 7 kit? I I wasn't even aware there were six previous stages to get more power out of a VMAX. So that's insane. And the turn signals don't work. Then he says when he bought it, it was around 1,500 miles on the clock. He took a trip out west that was a few thousand miles. And he'd guess 200 miles a year besides that. So it's probably at about 10,000 miles total. Since he's not super comfortable riding this thing, it bothers him selling it. So don't sell it, bro. Maybe you want it for parts. Okay, coming back to reality a little bit more there. Maybe you're a Russian roulette playing kind of guy. Maybe you got a fella and you want him gone, but you ain't got the guts. He keeps nagging at you night and day enough to drive you nuts. This might be a good gift. Let me know if you have any questions. <laughs> no trades unless you want to trade even up for something worth way more than the bike. Just direct quote there. So, yeah, what a piece of crap. <laughs> This email was listed, probably not the VMAX we were talking about for best bike in the world. I'm struggling to to imagine this guy having written this uh, sober, but the punctuation's too good for him to have been altered. 
Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. This is, it doesn't feel like a scam. It just feels like, it feels like someone who rides 200 miles a year. This guy probably knows something about working on cars. Yeah, thought this bike would be a hoot. And he's just been slowly fucking with it for no good reason whatsoever for years. Now, this whole thing at the end here where he's talking about, like, maybe you got a guy and you, you know, want him dead or whatever, buy this for him. This guy's wife is forcing him to get rid of this, right? He's saying he's 36 and he wants his daughter to grow up knowing her dad. He's just had a kid. That's what's happening here. And he's got to unload it, right? But, you know, he kind of likes this bike, right? I mean, he's been doing all this retarded stuff to it for years. And he's hardly riding the thing. He's worked on the thing way more than he's ever ridden it, right? Right. He enjoys the bike. He's being forced to get rid of it. Now, this idea that he can just try to be real jokey about all the things that are wrong with it in the ad, right? I, I've i noticed this in Craigslist ads recently. People are thinking like, well, I can't lie to folks because I'll never get the thing sold. So I'll just be jokey about it, right? Do people buy these bikes? I wouldn't buy this bike in a million years. Run away from this like your hair is on fire, right? Everything about this, literally, the front has has been, you know, had weird welding shit done to it. The back wheel welded by just some random local shop or whatever, that's sketchy. You can't trust the front or the back or the middle of it, right? The frame is fucking bent, there's no way it tracks straight, all right? That's your front-end wobble, bro. The rear wheel is on a different trajectory than the front wheel. Yeah, no wonder. You're going to get tank slappers on this like fucking crazy. This is literally worth nothing. The engine's not worth anything as a parts bike because the engine's taken a direct hit from a car, Right? I don't trust anything about this engine. Who knows what the hell happened to it? I don't, I don't, he's ridden it 200 miles a year. I don't trust the brakes. I, the only thing I trust is the battery because he says he's put a new one in, right? This is worth $40 for a probably okay battery. That's what this motorcycle is worth. There's nothing on it besides maybe the seat and the side covers. That you, or maybe the gas tank, I don't know, but if it took a hit so hard the frame was bent, I bet the gas tank is banged up too. There is nothing on this. You can't use the carburetors. He's got this retarded stage seven kit. What is that all about? I'm not, I'm not entirely certain that's real. I, exactly. But then here's the other thing. So there's this stage kit on the carbs, but then on top of that, he put in a venture gearbox to lower the rpms i don't know dude do you want more performance or don't you make up your mind i don't know if that's really how it works i don't think so there's there's some sketchy shit going on here and i'm really i'm really skeptical that a venture gearbox drops into this as well yeah that's where that's why i was thinking he's He's doing, he's, I don't even know. 
it, it sounds more like they're right. And so you're probably right that it's a guy who it doesn't want to sell this thing. Right. And is just he's come up with some improbable price so that the thing never sells and he never gets any hits on Craigslist. This is – so a lot of people misuse the term passive-aggressive. They don't really mm-hmm. know what it means. They think it means someone – like making some weird offhand remark that no, that's just actual aggression. It's low level. Passive aggressive means that you consciously or unconsciously do things to try to fuck up somebody else's business. It's an actions thing, right? So he is passive aggressive in this. What he's doing is he's being a dick about the way he's describing it. To try to make it difficult for you to actually pull the trigger on purchasing this motorcycle. That's what he's doing. He doesn't want to get rid of it. So he's like, I'm just going to waste the whole world's time. If he really wanted to get rid of this, he would have already just started tearing it down into pieces and eBaying those bits or just going, hey, $400 parts bike. And then it would be gone. But it's somewhat rideable to him, although he thinks not. He probably thinks it's fine to do 200 miles a year on, but his wife is like, no fucking way. I'm guessing that she got on the back of it once, like six years ago, and there was a tank slapper. And then she said, no more. And now the baby's here. She's like, get that fucking thing out of this goddamn garage, or I'm divorcing you do you want to see your daughter on weekends because i'm already divorcing you because you own it and this could (laughs) go a whole nother deeper stage if you don't get rid of it that's what's happening here (laughs) so you're you're probably right and that's that's the going theory but i have another theory okay that it doesn't say anywhere on it title in hand so at which tends to you tend to see on craigslist so i'm thinking that it's actually a drug addled chop shop and that 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 someone high on something probably amphetamines oh, here we go it, no it's got a rebuilt title because it was a wreck oh okay all right Wait, yeah. i know that, also, that still matches up with your with your whole fucked up chop shop thing mm-hmm. you would be insane as a chop shop to pick up a VMAX. You're char- you're looking for R6s, you're looking for SV650s, you're looking for CBR600RRs. You're not looking for a VMAX in a chop shop. Yeah, some small town. Where where where's he selling it? Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know. This is this is disturbing. He says Corbin seat as well, but there's something weird about the seat. Do you see on the top there? Is that a rip in it? it's hard to say man and the back wheel just looks stupid oh my gosh like uh, what is what is it with um guys that don't ride that much with having gigantic back wheels that aren't supposed to be on their bikes i don't know what that's all about like hey i want my bike to handle not as intended Ugh. okay uh, this is making me angry, but thank you, Matt. This, this was, uh, this was something to think about. All right. Now moving on to emails here. So we got this email from Dan in Huntsville, Alabama. This email was awesome. This was a very awesome email. There's quite a lot here. I don't know if we'll read 
quite all of this, but the gist of this is so way back in the day. Well, first of all, yeah, Dan's been listening for about a month now. Uh, he says his older brother taught him to ride a Yamaha TTR125 in the backyard, and then he bought a Suzuki Intruder 1400. Okay. And he taught him to ride that on the road, and now his brother's on a 2011 Road King. He said he started following Chopper Swapper on Instagram, and he was sure he wanted an old bobber, but then fortunately his brother and his friend talked him down from buying that, and they talked him out of buying an old, not-running 65 Bonneville. Good call. Very good call. And then a non-running 74 Sportster. Also a very, very good, good call. call. And then they also talked him about out of buying a XS650 that had been uh, turned into a bobber as well. Another great call. And he said if he, his brother told him if he wanted an old project bike, he should also buy something cheap and running. That way he'd have something to ride no matter how the project bike turned out. That is excellent advice. Your brother is looking out for you. So then about three years ago, he bought a 99 V star 650 with 15,000 miles. And you know what? That is a great starter bike. That really is. And then he's ridden the thing all over the place, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio. And then uh, he says he can throw it in the back of his truck and he takes it to St. Louis where he rides with his dad and his brother. His dad was in the Hondas in the 70s and had a KZ-1000. So mm-hmm. it's like everybody's dad had a Honda in the 70s and had a KZ-1000 in the 80s. Yeah, his dad had an 84 Goldwing, got rid of that when his mom got pregnant. But now when they ride, his dad rents Harleys for the day so he can ride around with them. That's a fucking awesome story. You know, these guys sticking together and riding, traveling distance just to ride together. That's super badass. You know, I feel like this guy should have been interviewed on Bruce's show instead of us. (laughs) All right. So then he got a project um, GS 1100 for 150 bucks. No title, not running, missing a bunch of stuff. Been sitting for since the 90s. He tracked down the title holder who turned out to be a machinist at his university and got the thing registered in his name and then basically just did everything to it. And he gave us a list of what he's done. So keep in mind, this dude did this in his dorm room or bedroom or whatever while at university. So he ported the head, put in heavier valve springs welded oh, rockers this is what the bike had because the guy the original owner had set it up for drag racing this is stuff that's gone on with it yeah cam sprockets cam chain heavier bored it out and went up to 10 and a half to one compression which i want to say these bikes were like nine to one compression to start with so he's got yep high volume oil pump gears reinforced clutch basket Undercuts and overcuts on the transmission gear dogs. I actually don't know too much about overcuts and undercuts on dogs there. But anyway, so he's got a race prep crank, ignition coils. He's got the Kirker 4 into 1, oil cooler, all sorts of stuff. 
Then uh, we get into basically a whole bunch of stuff he's been doing since then, more work on the bike, and then we get to something a little bit more exciting. He talks about some of his gear. So he wears an ECE-rated helmet, leather-armored gloves, mesh jacket with CE armor in it. Um, he wears boots like I wear boots. They're not motorcycle boots, but there you go. So listening to us, he's been inspired to buy some mesh pants with armor. Badass. With, yeah, all the reinforcements around the side and everything, and it zips to his jacket. Super cool. He's upgrading his back protector, and he was been looking at Bluetooth devices, and he actually went with the BTS2 like you've got, Mike, because ah. he just rides by himself a lot, and it's, you know, like we said in our last episode, like... You know, the Cedars that we have do everything that we just want them to do, right? But then on top of that, you know, if you don't even need to connect to anyone else for 35 bucks, the yeah. one that you've got, like, just does the job, right? Yeah, I love my BTS, too. I, I actually just bought a Senna because I, I bought a uh, um, a Senna for the camera. I bought a C4. Um, right. But uh, I've the, – the only thing I didn't like about the BTS, too – uh, was that, oh, what, which I still have, so still let, but the, the only thing I didn't was that it can't connect with Siri, whereas Senna's can, you can actually kind of verbal stuff into your phone pretty well. But right. the BTS too, you can, you, it, it does like some voice activation for the, uh, um, for like phone calls and things a little bit, but mostly it's just timing and pushing the button, but, right. but I love it. It's a simple, easygoing, nice little device, excellent for its money. There we go. And so, yeah, he's been doing some bike swapping and stuff. And then he said he was listening to an episode in the, when we were talking about the Ninja 250R, we talked about it being a candidate for the best improvised luggage just behind the KLR 650. And so he's decided he's going to sell the V Star and buy a KLR, which I can't tell you that's a bad idea. That is a great bike. So 26,000 miles, he's listening, he's listing the V star and he's going to sell. Well, I guess this V star has got some weird shit on it. These mega cycle cams and these, I guess he's got the, yeah, he's got the, the cayenne carbs for it. And then, um, he's going to buy a whole bunch of adventure gear and then he's off. And, um, also, he's saying there's a 2001 BMW F650 Dakar that he's had his eye on. So I don't know. What do you think? BMW F650 or KLR? I'm still leaning towards the KLR. I think if you don't have a lot of money, you know, because he says he's a student, if you don't have a lot of money, I feel like the KLR is just way better in the short term. Because the F650 is not something you hold on to for a long time. It's something you upgrade later on. So I feel like you're going to have way better part support and much cheaper yes. OEM parts mm-hmm. on the 650. And they're both single cylinders. So I think of the KLR650 as kind of... It's almost like the Suzuki Vitara... Or like the Civic or the Camry of adventure bikes, where <laughs> oh, right, right. there's a there there's millions of them. They're dime a dozen. They're super cheap. Again, you could ride this like a six year old, you know, and just, and just like it dump it, like yeah. dump it on your front lawn every day coming home, and you'd be fine with it. You know, it's it's. I think financially, it's and it'll just provide a lot less stress. It's really easy to work on. 
I would go with the with the KLR. If he wants a project bike, it would be there's probably a lot of aftermarket stuff for a KLR as opposed to like a BMW. Yeah, that you could pick up and mod because he did a lot of stuff to that last bike. The other thing is once you get out of your depth on on a BMW, mm. it's a lot of money to hand over. Mm. So you know, here's the thing. I, I guess the GS1100 is kind of his hot bike in a mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah, um, if it's running great, you know, and he's done all that work to it and everything, and he just wants to keep that as the fun thing, then it's no problem to get the KLR if he's actually going to do some adventure bike things with it. If there's crazy places he's got to go ride, then I can't tell him no. The only thing is, he's been riding this V-Star 650, and then he's going to go to this um, KLR, which might become the workhorse. I think he needs to be prepared for the fact that while they're both 650s, the V-Star 650, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is going to be the faster of those two bikes. So, I mean, and, you know, and the, and the BMW S650 still, you know, that's not setting the world on fire either. So these bikes are really only going to be fulfilling if he is going to do some, some off-road stuff with them. Right. Right. And if he really is, then yeah, go with the KLR. There's no reason not to. So. All right. So, yeah. Thank you, Dan. That was an oh. excellent email. And also, I love all the stuff about his family in there. I, I, also, if you're a, trying to get somebody into motorcycling, you need to give them the same sort of experience that Dan has had. And you've got to – if you can be a mentor to somebody getting into motorcycling like Dan's brother was to him, yeah, you're a hero. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a little disappointed that uh, that it's that he's from Huntsville, Alabama, and there's no mention of a rocket powered bike. <laughs> okay. And then we got another email just this morning, and this is from uh I don't even know what that's called. Colin. Name. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, it says at the bottom there. Duh, I'm an idiot. Okay. So he started listening to us a few weeks back. Enjoys the podcast. This is another person I'm sure we've picked up from doing Bruce's show. Uh, wanted to see what you guys had for recommendations for a second bike. I'm selling my 2003 883 Sportster and looking for the next ride. I don't really hold any grudges against the Sporty. It's a fun bike and generally knew its limitations when I got it. But I want something that doesn't scrape foot pegs on turns and has more than five gears. After a few 300-plus-mile weekends at highway speeds, the vibrations are getting a bit old, and I would like to be able to see things in my mirrors. Really, all I want is ABS, fuel injection, and another dollop of horsepower, and more of a neutral standard riding position. I realize this kind of leaves the field wide open, as much of this is pretty much par for the course these days. I did say I started on a Harley, so I figured I would ask you guys. I will primarily be using it around town and likely short weekend trips and just building my skills further. I don't anticipate needing hard luggage, just the ability to strap bungee down a bag to the tail, and I've been exploring offerings on the Japanese menu primarily due to cost and reliability, but I'm open to all manufacturers within reason 
There seems to be plenty of SV650s on Craigslist, but I've also thought about the V-Strom, NC700, and Versus. Anything else I should consider or avoid? I'm trying to keep it at or around 6K. Also, I'm going to be moving to Colorado Springs area soon. Are there any manufacturers to avoid slash rule out due to lack of dealers slash support? Well, Piaggio, for one. (laughs) We'll be going into that in detail. Um, So I thought about this, and I think I've come up with the perfect bike for the price point and everything, right? Because a lot of these bikes he's got on the list seem pretty good, like the V-Strom, the Versus, and the NC700. But they're not they, – they all seem good, but none of them really actually give you that dollop of extra horsepower. Are you kidding me? What are you talking – okay, he's on a 2003 uh, No, I agree. These are all faster bikes, except for maybe the NC700. Well, the, the NC700 is detuned pretty hardcore. The NC700 is about the same. It's a little bit more torque, like two more foot-pounds of torque. Maybe like three more horsepower, but that's at the crank, and it's also chain drive. So it's going to get a little bit better. Um, but the SV650 is like straight up 28 horsepower more to the rear wheel. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the one on this list that has the most kick in it. But then again, you've also got the, the V-Strom. It's basically the same motor, but detuned a little bit. So you're going to get like four more foot-pounds of torque and five less horsepower. Right. Now, here's the thing. These are all very budget-y bikes and everything. I thought of a premium bike that meets all the criteria. And is, is it a, a Ducati much- Monster? No, but you're not too far off. For the going rate for a 2015 ABS, 10 to 15,000 miles, FZ09 in this area is $5,000. Oh. Yeah. So he gets a triple, he gets the torque, he gets the horsepower, but he's got it's a super fun bike, but okay, it's so totally that's more the than standard. a dollop of horsepower. That's that's more it's double plus change horsepower. Yeah, but he's been riding for a few <laughs> years and he's done all these like three hundred mile weekends and everything. Like okay. he's gonna be able to handle it. But like you said, he's got the ABS, he's got the fuel injection, he's got the horsepower. It's within or below his price range, mm-hmm. and it's a super badass bike. Like, so I don't think I, I've been, I was looking around at bikes like that, and I don't think I saw any FZ09s around that price. Here's the crazy thing FZ07s and FZ09s from 2015 are going for exactly the same price right now. I did a search throughout all of this state. And it's like the cheapest one was an FZ07 for like 4,800 and the most expensive was an FZ09 for like 6,200. And almost all of them were just right in the middle around, you know, uh, 48 to 5,500. And there was very, there was no real rhyme or reason if it was going to be an 07 or an 09. And so why wouldn't you just get the 09? Because the price difference when they were new wasn't very much, right? So now that they've depreciated, that difference is even less. And they're still just kind of both, well, middleweight bikes and whatever. And no one's looking at the numbers that closely. And they just sort of fetch the same money. So 
uh, five grand for a 2015 ABS? Like, mm, I don't know. I think he's got to go for it. Now, was that Denver or Greeley? You were looking just all over the area. Whole state. Okay. Oh, okay. Have you, have you told your listeners about the reality bubble? Have you talked about this? You know, I, a need, to, I need to start casting a wider net in my bike searches. Yeah. I, I always because look Greeley. The notion of an Greeley FCO9 going for $5,000, let alone with ABS, was just alien to me. And oh. I'm happy to cross the map, cross the divide. To save like $1,200 on a bike. Oh, well, the two greatest secrets in buying used bikes, uh, if you live in this area of the country, are Cheyenne, Wyoming and Pueblo, Colorado, because mm-hmm. no one wants to fucking drive out there to look at a bike or whatever. And yeah, not that many things pop up, but they always pop up insanely cheap. So if you own a trailer... You can go out there and pick something up 1500 bucks below what you would normally pay for it, whether you're in Cheyenne or going to Pueblo or whatever, because no one wants to fucking go out there and look at it. Well, this guy's in Colorado Springs, then he's in a prime yeah, location. Yeah, he's great he says he's going to be moving there. I don't know where he lives now. This guy could live in Kansas. This I don't know. Okay. Like, so I have one alternative suggestion. Okay. And I actually think that the NC700 is a great buy. Now, here's why. Okay. Because eventually, you know, FC07, SV650, Ninja 650, Versus 650, you know, CBR650F, CB650F. Yeah. All these bikes are eventually going to turn out like the GS1100 and the GS750 and the CB650 and the CB750 and the Nighthawk 650. They're all going to kind of meld into this territory at some point of just being a running bike with more than 50 horsepower. Yeah. But what's going to be important, you know, if we're talking five, six, seven years from now, is, is it fuel injected? Does it have more than 50 horsepower? Does it have ABS? Well, it'll all be fuel injected. Right. But so that's, ABS will be the one. No, but everything, you know, kind of, all the older stuff is just going to drop off. Whereas, you know, in the 70s, you were looking for a cheap bike where you didn't have to advance the timing as you were riding. Right. <laughs> the same thing is going to be nobody in 2025 is ever going to want to deal with carburetors. People already don't want to deal with carburetors. Right. So if you can get the cheapest bike you can, if you're, you know, if you're only looking to move up a little bit from an 83 Sportster in performance and go for the more upright seating position, but you know that in the future, either that's going to be all you ever want or you're going to want to move way up later on. If you want that, your next bike to be a stepping stone, the NC700 makes a lot of sense because just it's, it's very cheap. And it's going to reach the that bare minimum new standard of fuel-injected ABS more than 50 horsepower. I agree. Here's the thing, though. I You also get – he's also talking about wanting to strap a bag to the back, to, like, bungee a bag to the back. Yeah. But with the NC700 – Oh, you've you got get, inside the airbox. You've got yeah. the airbox storage. <laughs> That's true. Um Here's what I'm reading from this, though. Again, reading in between the lines. And again, Colin, tell me if I'm dead on the money or not. 
He's got this two, he's got this 883 Sportster and he doesn't mention that there's anything wrong with it, right? And he's been putting miles on it and he's been riding it. And I'm guessing that the 883 was his first bike. I'm thinking after having it for some time, he just wants a change, right? Because mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with an 883 Sportster, right? I mean, it won't quite hit 100 miles per hour, but whatever. It's a, I can't believe I'm saying this about an old school, you know, Harley Davidson, but it's a somewhat practical around town machine, right? And, you know, in a way, an SV650 is still a very practical bike. I mean, it's sporty and everything. And the NC700 is like the definition of practical. And, you know, the Versus and the V-Strom as well. The, the FC09 is, is striking out somewhere different, right? You know, if, you know, he, he's moving to Colorado Springs, right? Well, so he's moving, right? If, if, if the 883 Sportster is like Columbus, Indiana, right? Getting an NC 700 is like moving to rank in Illinois. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> right. Getting the FC 07 is like, fuck it. We're going to Molly, right? We're going somewhere else, right? We're going. That's what I meant. Yeah, the FC09. It's like, it's a different, it's a different country, right? It's a completely different experience in every single way. The amount of power, the way it's delivered, the way it handles, the way it makes you feel sitting on it, right? So rather than a stepping stone, I'm just getting the feeling that this guy wants to just step out of where he's been Mm -hmm. and go somewhere else. And I think the FC does that. That's good. And I think this uh, ties into the topic you're going to bring up later in the show um, pretty well. Yes. The other thing I will say is if you want the middle of the road pick between our, our two choices, for some reason, V-Strom 650s drop precipitously in price on the on the used market, and they're dime a dozen. So that is easily the best pick in between our two choices. Yeah, I mean, all the bikes he mentions, SV, the NC700, the Versus, the V-Strom, I, I, if he bought any of those bikes, I, there's no way I could tell him he made a bad choice. I mean, right. unless he just got a fucking lemon. He was like, oh, yeah, I got this V-Strom, and someone cut out the rear hub and put on a welded boost attire and put a Jixxer front end on it. <laughs> Colin, don't buy that bike. <laughs> don't buy that bike. Do not go. The only thing I'll say Iowa. is just go as stock as possible. Uh, yeah, stock mm. as yeah, yeah, whatever you buy, go as stock as possible. I feel don't a certain inherit affinity. someone else's project. I, I, I don't know. I feel uh, I feel close to Colin here because I also own an 03 Sportster. <laughs> In a sense, my, my Buell. Oh, right, right, right. right. High, heavily modified O3 Sportster engine. Uh, and I really wanted to suggest to him to get whatever the uh, um, EBR equivalent of a Buell Ulysses would be. Um, I don't think EBR ever got around never, to it, a full-on adventure model. It was just axed They just quickly. had the, the two different bikes. Oh, okay, okay. Well, well, it was then. really like one motor and four different bikes. Four right. frames of just very slightly different dimensions and different seats and handlebars is really what was going on Because you can get a pretty good Buell for six grand, but... Uh, but you can get a perfect Buell for six grand. Yeah. Mm. 
or or EBR, you can get a, a decent one. But but, uh, but then the final line is lack of dealer support. But you yes. also you also won't be able to see out of your mirrors at four thousand RPM. Yes, yeah, he did that make that a, a, a definite mm-hmm. requirement there. Also, he lives close to Colorado Springs, or he will be in Colorado Springs. All right, I'm going cool. to live down that way. Well, here, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll come back with best worst bike in the world. All right. <laughs> You guys about ready? Yep. Okay, and we are coming back with everyone's favorite segment, Best Worst Bike in the World This Week. So, our disclaimer, it's all in good fun. If we mention your bike is the worst bike in the world, don't get hurt. It's just a fun way to look at some bikes that you might not necessarily give second thought to, or maybe didn't even know existed. Uh, as always, we have no idea what the other has chosen, and Swee's going to start. And this week, you have best bike in the world? Worst. Yes, you have worst. That's right. All right. And so, reveal it. The FZ07. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> okay. The FZ07. Let's bring up the specs. Oh my gosh. Why? Well, I can already tell you. So really the FZ09 and the FZ1, otherwise known as the MT09 and, and the MT1. Right. Are what were originally developed. And this was designed to be like a soup, uh, high performance naked bike. Right. Which they developed with the three cylinder motor. Uh, the 07 is a two cylinder. The 07 is a parallel twin. Right. But the thing is, when you look and you really compare these two bikes, Mm -hmm. the FZ07, if you're looking at it in isolation, seems like a pretty sweet bike. It's 70 horsepower, and it's about 40 foot-pounds of torque. Yeah. Which seems pretty good. But then you go up to the FZ09, Mm -hmm. now known as the MT09 everywhere. Right. And it's another 150 cc's. Yes. It's 20 pounds heavier. Yes. But it's 40 more horsepower, and it's 14 more foot-pounds of torque. And here's the thing. When you compare them same year to same year MSRP, it varies, you know, depending if you're getting a 15 or a 16 or a 17 or an 18, it varies between a 1000 dollars and $1,200 price difference between the two. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. It was like a $1,500 difference or something like that. Right. So when you then look at the other end of the spectrum, when you think, well, I, I don't want to spend the extra money, this isn't like the difference between a 650, you know, like a CBR 650F and a CBR 600RR where the price difference is like $3,500 for 30 more horsepower and 10 more foot-pounds of torque. This is... A 40 horsepower difference for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Why wouldn't you go for the bigger one? Right. And in the other direction, if you wanted something cheap and you didn't want to spend the extra money for the, for the FC09, you can get an SV650 with the same torque and more horsepower for less money. Right. So 
this is kind of one of my guiding philosophies and what makes a good or a bad bike, which is where does this motorcycle fit into your life? You know, what makes this the best choice for somebody? And the answer is there's nothing about this bike that makes it the best choice for somebody. Okay. So we're talking about buying one of these new. It was the worst. Because right now it's not a bad used buy. Except it doesn't uh, make any sense in that the 07s and the 09s are going for exactly the same money. Because that $1,200 difference new has degraded into nothing. Well, here's the thing. It's still a new enough bike that it's holding on to its value. But I think so few people are buying it. Though there's no, that you know, reality hasn't hit the market yet. You know, in the used market, they're still trying to sell them for, you know, $800 less than msrp when they've got a thousand miles on them and that's just not going that's not floating yeah there were some some fc07s that i saw around here that they were asking you know like i said like six grand 6200 for and you know that was because the bike had you know low low miles and everything but it's like well it's still a few years old you know you spent what eight thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars new for the thing something like that it's around eight thousand. Eight thousand for an FCO seven is what they were in two thousand fifteen. Is that right? Uh, well, if you were to buy one new today, I believe it's like seventy nine ninety or something like that. Okay, yeah, around the same then. But again, why wouldn't you just go with the SV six fifty? Oh, instead of the O seven, the FCO seven. Yeah. If you don't want to go up to the FCO nine. Why wouldn't you go to the F to the SV650 and go cheaper again? Right. That's compelling. That's compelling. Yeah, why would you get the 07? Yeah, the 07 makes no sense. Now, maybe in 6 or 7 years, the 2015s are going to be really cheap. Maybe they'll go for like 3 grand and the SVs will be a bit more expensive. Once kind of the reality sets in and they're, you know, the, because, you know, everyone thinks of the SV650 as an older bike. Yes. And, uh, you know, well, it's got to be cheaper. These have been around for a while. It's old tech. Yeah. They've been making it for like 15 years unchanged. Right. But once, once the, 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 you know, the sheen, the newness, the newness has come off the FC07, I think then it'll start to get priced more reasonably on the used market. And it may actually be a bit cheaper than same-year SV650s. And then it'll become a great used bike. But right now, it's just not realistically priced. And it is a budget bike. It's in that same category as the SV650, as the CBR650F, as the uh, as the Ninja 650 and the Z650, but the pricing just isn't realistic right now. I get you. I still think at like five grand, the FZ09 is a good buy. Oh, it's an because you get the buy. forty extra horsepower. But you're right. The the seven makes zero sense because they're charging FZ09 use price money for them. And all the tech in it is kind of is excellent. The frame is excellent. You know. I think only until 2018 you get some extra features on on the FZ09 like the um like you get a slipper clutch 
and a few other nice features that you don't get on the FC07. But up until 2017, they're kind of identical, except that you just get this cheap, out-of-place parallel twin in the FC07. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is odd. Is it? Um, no, no. It's a it's a motor for this bike. I don't think they use it in anything else, do they? I don't think so. Well, here's the thing. Here's what the FZ07 is. When you go to the movie theater and you want to go buy a drink, yes, to watch with to drink with your movie, and they've done the whole pricing scheme where. It's like $12 for a 48-ounce drink. Yeah. But what the, in order to sell you on that, they'll sell you a 12-ounce drink for $8. Right. And the 24-ounce will be $10. So that you look, you, you, you think about how awful, how, how big a kick to the nuts, like, 12 ounces for $8 is, and then you see the 36 or the 48 ounce for $12 and you think, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, that's what the F, the FC07 is, is like buying a small drink at the movie theater. Yeah. There's also one other reason that this bike was and continues to be a terrible, terrible buy as well. Because we've discussed why going to the FC09, like, why wouldn't you do that, right? Well, for the same price difference, you could also get a Kawasaki Z900 and literally have double the horsepower. Is it 140? I believe so. It's at least 120-something for the, the Z900. The Z900 is a crazy awesome value, and it's like $9,000. It's amazing it's the same style of bike it's the torque it's the it's the hooligan machine that you want and if you're going in for this kind of styling the the z900 really goes there i don't really go in for that styling but if you're into that it's the one that really looks the part too so yeah the fc07 is just simply outclassed on price and performance by everything else there's no reason to buy it in any universe even on the used market, because the 09s are going for the same price. Now I do, th- yeah. Now I do think in six or seven years, a 2015 FZ07 is going to turn out to be a great purchase because reality will set in, the prices will be much more realistic, and it'll be a, f- a great bike to have when you don't have that extra, that ridiculous premium put on it. It'll be an excellent purchase, and people will love it. Well, this bike, I think, holds that value on the fact that when they were doing the marketing for this, Yamaha just released a million pictures of people doing wheelies on these things. And everyone got sold on this idea that they were just these wheelie monsters, right? Like, oh, yeah, you want to start ripping wheelies? Get an FZ07. Well, yes, the bike will wheelie, but at 40 foot-pounds of torque, and yeah, it's light, but there are much better wheelie bikes out there. I mean, my Superhawk and, and your, uh, your Buell, for example, you know, like that, uh, so I think that, yeah, there was a bit of a dream sold with this bike and everyone was all about this bike when it was out new, right? No one could stop talking about it. It was like bike of the year or the nine was the bike of the year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you'll notice in the last like 15, 16 months, everyone just sort of stopped talking about them. 
right? And uh, you know when everyone stopped talking about them? When Yammy Noob got one. <laughs> that was it. I just realized that was the moment. Yammy Noob got one and just tainted this bike. And everyone was just watching Yammy Noob ride around on it like, yeah, well, it's not the Daytona, but it's still good. And then slowly coming to grips with the reality that it's definitely not as good and not as fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. I, uh, we don't need to say anything about being the worst bike in the world. Yammy Noob's already done all the heavy lifting for us on this one. <laughs> okay. well, there you go. There we go. All right, so now let's move on to best bike in the world. So the best bike in the world this week is the Suzuki Gamma. I have definitely never heard of this before. You really? Holy shit. Prepare to have your mind fucking blown, Swiggy. So the Suzuki RG500R Gamma. 1985. This is a MotoGP bike that you can just buy. Oh. So, 1985. So, from oh, 1980 of the of the Yamaha we saw down at Coda this year? Very similar. Yeah, the uh, RZ 500s. Yeah. So, uh, in the 500 two-stroke days of MotoGP, right? So Suzuki had these works uh, two-stroke 500s that they were making from 1980 all the way up, right? And they didn't put this one out until 1985 the public could buy. So Barry Sheen won on these. Um, Kevin Schwantz won on these, right? So this was 95 horsepower, at 9,000 RPM, although people claimed actually riding it that it made power all the way up to 12,000 RPM. But they also admitted that that was pretty fucking scary. <laughs> 51 foot-pounds of torque. I think it weighs somewhere around 450 pounds wet, somewhere in there. I've looked it up. A little bit of a thing against it. It does have the Suzuki pointless electronic ignition system, <laughs> as mentioned in the last episode. Right, but that's going to be in a professional... Yeah, this was, this is, this is, this is years later. This is after they figured that out. So here's what makes this bike so fucking cool. This was the GP bike that you could buy. The only things they did different was a different, um, ratios on the gearbox. Other than that, it's the GP bike with turn signals. So that was fucking cool. How much did they sell it for? That I don't know, but it's a GP bike you could buy. It doesn't matter what it costs, right? This is like the Max Biazzi edition RSV4 of 1985. Like, you don't care what it costs, right? Well, I only bring that up because Honda does sell the RC213VS, which is supposedly all of the race tech and a, rep a true replica of the, of, you know, the 2014, oh, yeah. 2015 bike. Way expensive. That's just well, a yeah. collector bike thing. Well, it, they also charge. It's also one hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars, but also it's limited to a hundred horsepower, right. which is bullshit. Totally bullshit. So this thing is this thing is super cool because it's the GP bike that you could buy, but also it's just fucking weird. So it's a five hundred two-stroke, 
And this is a square four engine. Liquid cooled. And it's got. Wait, it's. It's a a two stroke square four engine. Okay. Like I said, liquid cool. And it's got these rotary valves, which are fucking crazy weird. And the rotary valves figure a lot into the performance of it. Rotary valves haven't been used in a lot of bikes. So they were having issues because two strokes produce a lot of heat, all these extra power strokes, right? So the valve heat was an issue. So a rotary valve. So you've got your, you know, your open ends and there's a cylinder with holes cut in it that spins. And here's the other oh, thing too. So it's it like works you've like, got, it's, it's almost like the cam itself just rolls against the port and it, just has grooves cut in it to open and close just mm-hmm. by rolling. Right. And then here's the other thing. There's a bit inside. How do you do the tolerances for that? I don't know. But um, it also works. The way that this works is it's a lot like the old Ural forced induction system, too. So you've got this spinning cylinder, right? But there's a bit inside of it. So it opens up. It pulls air in. But then as it turns, there's a piece that compresses the volume inside of it increasing the air pressure right so it forces a shitload of air in the the valve itself is a sort of miniature forced induction system which is super cool right so it really just shoots that that air fuel mixture in there and i think it may be traditional like exhaust valves and it's just the intake that's rotary valve, I believe. I could be wrong on this. But anyway, that's part of the secret and the weirdness. So on top of being two-stroke and a four-cylinder and a 500, which is a big two-stroke. Oh, yeah. It says there it's square rotary valve. valve with exhaust port valves. Yeah, there you go. Right. So everything about it is just crazy weird in the engineering. So, you know, you if you owned one of these and you took it to a track day, well, everyone would be all over your nuts because it says RG500 on the side. But if you were just riding this around town, people might think that you've got like an old Jixer 750 or something like that. And they could just be like, oh, cool old Jixer or whatever, right? Cool old Suzuki. But much like the W650, if you wanted to have that additional conversation, you could be like, this is a crazy four-cylinder, two-stroke, square four. And just some old guy's eyes would light up like, I've been waiting to have this conversation for 30-something years. (laughs) Right? And you could talk to him about it. And again, it's, it's got, you know, all the best brakes from the time and everything. It's all the GP stuff from the time. Just you can, you just happen to be able to buy it. I don't know if this was ever actually sold in the U.S. So all the ones that we have here come from Canada, I think, where I think it was just the RG500, but it was like the RG500R, and then it was like the RGV500 somewhere else, I think, or maybe RGV4. There's a bunch of different names for it. But essentially, like I said, you've got this MotoGP two-stroke era package, 1985, that you could just buy. You can be on the bike that Barry Sheen won on, that Kevin Schwantz won on. Right. This is like Suzuki at the top of its MotoGP game. This is going to be stupid money to buy. 
It's going to be stupid to maintain. It's going to be a nightmare to own, but you'll go to bed just like, oh, I own a gamma. I own a gamma and you will forever be happy. You know, kind of like the Ducati Super Mono. This is in that same class. These are stupid expensive, but it's also attainable, right? These probably go for more money. I haven't looked up the values on them. You know, I, this might be a $100,000 bike now. I'm not sure. But these, you know, you can find them. They were sold to the public and people bought them. And it wasn't like with the Super Mono where they made like 58 of them. No, they sold like 4,000 of these things. So you mm-hmm. can find them around. So... I don't know. I, I, it may not be, it may not have the cool factor that, I don't know. I think it does have the cool factor of the super mono, but the two stroke square four with the right people. It may just be too obscure for some people in terms of, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard, you know, it's hard to go back, you know, 15 years and talk, you know, early 2000s MotoGP with a lot of people. To go back to, to 85, you, it, there is a certain crowd that you score a lot of points with, with this. Well, people don't need to know anything about 80s MotoGP to appreciate it. All you need to know is someone who's a little bit older that really grasps what two-stroke racing was, sort of, and what the weirdness of it being a square four and all of that, right? Right. That's that's all you really need to get someone to be on board with for them to just suck your dick all day long because you own this motorcycle, right? I you know, and at, at 95 horsepower, it's still going to be fun to ride and you know, then like mid 50s on torque at the rear wheel, like this thing's going to get up and go. You're going to be able to ride this today, modern, be on a two stroke and be fast, right? You're going to be faster than an FZ07, that's for sure, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I some people are a little annoyed at the way that it looks, but this one gets away with it because it kind of doesn't even look as modern as the um the 754 stroke inline 4s of the time. It somehow looks older than the early Jixers. Well, eighty five was was eighty five or eighty four. The 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 Jixxer seven fifty came out. I think it was eighty four, but it might have been eighty five. It's around the same time. It's like right. This it was almost the same time as the the GPC nine hundred R. Right, but the but the GPC nine noticeably different right. on this. But the GPC nine hundred R had the double round headlights. But this is just owning that mid eighties square headlight. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Which I don't mind on the sport bikes. It's on the cruisers and the and the standard bikes of the eighties that yeah. that the square headlight was hugely offensive. But on the sport bikes, I kind of dig. Yeah, I love the just insanity too that this is a this is a tuned up five hundred two stroke GP racer. With a passenger seat as well. <laughs> yeah. I, like, Does why it have did they the luggage even, hooks? Yeah. Why did they even put that on this thing? I'm looking for somewhere on the frame or on the uh, fairing to like put a floppy disk. 
Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should come with an eight-track player. Yeah, well, probably in the uh, the little um, air outlet on the side of the fairing <laughs> where, it, like, the hot air runs out after it's gone over the radiator. You might be able to find, like, a really giant – you might be able to put a vinyl in there, <laughs> right? Um. So, yeah, I, basically, you know, I think this thing really only came in the classic Suzuki racing colors. There may have been some others. I feel like I've seen some red and black ones, but, like, color options were limited because it was like, oh, you want this crazy fucking thing? You're just going to buy it as it comes because, yeah, I mean, there's no aftermarket anything for this. There's no options. It's just the RG500 Gamma. Take it or fucking leave it, right? And, you know, when I say it's like the same RG500 as Barry Sheen, well, that was a, you know, a, a 500cc two-stroke, you know, from 76, 77. Obviously, Barry Sheen was kind of done racing by then. But this is that Suzuki line. So in ways, this is probably a bit faster and better than the bike Barry Sheen was riding. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is a serious fucking thing. Again, I have no idea... You know, it's supposedly a nightmare to ride around town because it makes no power underneath 6,000 RPM, right? Like, take the exaggerated power band of a two-stroke and then up that to a 500, right? In line, uh, a square four. Like, it's just weird. It goes nothing, and then you get to 6,000 and 9,000, and then all that power, right? Um, Yeah, you. this is not... A casual, just, you know, this is not practical in any way. Like, make no mistake, this is going to be difficult to live with. I mean, you're going to have to ride it around town because it's a street legal MotoGP bike, right? You could not ride it around town, but it may not be a super pleasant experience. But the bike is so goddamn cool, you would have to at least a few times a year, right? You know? And... You know, you and, may have to like hook up an aftermarket fan to the battery and like take it in a parade at some point just to blow air over the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, and, um, the, uh, the variable ports on the exhaust and everything are complicated and you're going to need to know a guy that knows how to do this kind of crap. You or will not know somebody find, who's a wizard with a CNC mill. Exactly. You will not find a shop that can do any work to this for you whatsoever. Like, make no mistake, this is probably, I mean, this makes zero sense to own other than just how fucking cool it is. Right. You may have to send a polite handwritten letter to Suzuki headquarters asking for scans of the original plans so that you can give them to your machinist to make new parts for it right this bike is so fucking crazy that they say riding it around on normal roads it kind of handles too well it tips in too easily it's too track oriented right it's not really a real world bike guys were just meant to buy these to just you know, bury them underground to be unearthed 50 years later so that when they're worth like who knows how many millions of dollars, right? That's what this bike was sold to the public for. And, you know, the, but you, again, you can find them. You can. And the, it, what really makes it great is Yamaha 
made a um, an RZ bike, another 500 four-stroke, at the same time that the public could buy as well. But it way, but their but their production one, which they sold to everyone as you know, here's the GP bike that you can buy. But it weighed fifty pounds more. It made a few less horsepower than the GP bike, and this one kicked the shit out of it on all the numbers, on the price, on the power, on the weight, on the handling, on everything. This was the one to have. Suzuki was at the top of GP at this time. You know, like, well, this is when Suzuki really got crazy with all the race tech and all the competition, where it's kind of like the crazy gun guy in the Midwest. I don't want to make money. I I just just love selling selling guns. guns. Yeah. Exactly. And Suzuki just loved selling bikes. Don's guns. That's the commercial from Don's guns in Indianapolis. That's right. Apparently, like a few years ago, or probably more than a few years ago, it was probably like eight years ago now, some guy went into Don's Guns and like rented an AR-15 and like shot up the place. <laughs> Which is not surprising if you've just, just stop right now and Google the commercial for Don's Guns in Indianapolis and you'll know it, it'll be no surprise that something like that went down there. I heard something about him selling guns to Chicago Mafia. He probably sold guns to preschoolers. (laughs) Don was a crazy motherfucker. All right. Particularly our Australian listeners should probably (laughs) watch the YouTube of this. Okay. So I don't think I've got anything else to say about the Gamma, just super I think you've made a solid case. All right. It's got a cool factor for sure. Let's take another break and come back with the most exciting thing to hit motorcycles in decades. Okay, and we're back. So I'm sure you've already heard. I'm sure everyone's mind has already been completely fucking blown open. I want to start this by saying I didn't leave Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson left me. And now I haven't come back to Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson has come back to me. And I couldn't be happier about it. Holy crap. Harley Davidson has just done the most unexpected thing. And not because it's something that they should have done. Well, it's what we all wanted them to do and said they should have done. For five years at but least. never believed they would have done. I know. I was just convinced that they were living in the past and they'd missed the window and they were going to be falling on. <clears throat> and they were going to be falling on super hard times and you know the next few years are going to be a little lean while people are waiting for these new bikes to come out but harley davidson has just unveiled essentially three entirely new platforms and three new motors in the form of four essentially very distinctly different bikes with the promise of eight more variations of these to follow between 2020 and 2022. And holy crap. Well, actually less than that, because next year, one of them, the live wire will be available. Oh my God. So uh, the one I want to talk about first is one that people are kind of talking about the least. Everyone's going nuts over the naked sport bike. 
But I think the Pan America, this is going to be the best-selling bike in the United States for years now. As soon as this thing gets released, I don't think you'll be able to stop people from buying this. And here's why I think. So it says Harley-Davidson, but this is what the older existing crowd secretly wants, but is too afraid to admit it, right? So all the guys that would have gotten old cruisers, but were kind of, you know, a little over the Harley Cruiser thing, well, they went to BMW and got GS1200s, or they got Super Tenere's, or they got Tiger 800s or Tiger 1200s or whatever, right? And they got them for the same reason that guys get really big, cushy crew cab trucks or SUVs, right? These bikes are secretly just super comfortable highway cruisers, but they get to shed some of the old man look, right? So it's not a great look to be riding around as an old dude in a Cadillac anymore, right? Right. So they have to get a big truck or an SUV to feel cooler. And that's what the adventure bikes do. They're the big truck or the SUV of the motorcycle world. They provide all the big power and the cushion, the comfort, but with this a little bit more modern, edgier look to them. Plus, they are technically more capable bikes. You can do more things with them, right? I think what this bike really pulls off, and you can already see it without seeing what exactly what I'm talking about, which is this bike as an American adventure bike will look amazing in digital camo. Yes, it will. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, Harley's going to be insane if they don't do that. So this bike, the Pan America, first of all, what a fucking home run of a name, right? And there's something a little deeper that I love about it as well. And this must have come up in like Harley boardroom meetings, right? They're like, look, when we're releasing these new models, there's going to be a lot of people that don't like it because we're not, it's not a big cruiser, but the name Pan America, it sort of says like, no, no, no. What we're doing here is we're really bringing people together. You know, it's still mm-hmm. Harley Davidson, but it's an adventure bike. It's a new style. And as if, as, and like hands across America, right? Pan America, like, it's bringing everyone together. Like all you old guys, we still sell cruisers. You love us. Hey, all you people that left us or never really considered this as an option. Here we go. We can all sit under this banner together. Pan America. It's wonderful. It is the perfect thing. Oh my gosh. I mean, I wouldn't own this one. But, like, I'm not really into adventure bikes in general, but I just totally get what this bike is, what it's supposed to do, who it's supposed to appeal to. I understand everything about it. I know why it's a 1250 V-Twin. I know why it's air-cooled. I know why it's four-valve. This one's liquid-cooled, isn't it? Sorry, that's what I meant to say, liquid-cooled. I know why it's all those things. I know why it has the chunky styling that it has. I know why it needs to look completely different than any other adventure bike. You know what this bike is going to be? What's it going to be? It's going to be the next big American cop bike. Holy shit, you're right. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah, why wouldn't they? You just slap some road tires on it, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or in some parts of the state, don't. Yeah, in some parts of the country, don't. Exactly. 
You're right. Yeah, look at those big grab bars and that whole like flat rear section. That's for putting a top box on with the laptop and all the cop gear and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It has that sort of like it's a, it does have if you put if you have a if you have red and blue lights on it, that's going to be a very intimidating bike coming at you. I was going to say it looks like, you know, it's got something very vaguely Dodge Charger-ish about it right. with that square nose. Yes. Yeah, cuz I'm not a fan of Dodge Chargers, but the Dodge Charger as a cop car really looks the way it's supposed to look. Right. When I see just some dude driving around a charger, I'm like, come on, bro. But when I see it as a cop car, I'm like, that's a mean, intimidating fucking looking thing. Right. And this yeah, is sort of, this is a bit of a shark nose to it. There is. Yeah. There's something very, very I, predatory. Yeah. Like you said, the great white shark with the new, um, gold wing. Mm-hmm. This has something kind of like that going on, well, it but not the it same. It doesn't for uh, if you look at it as as a bike and try to compare it to a Great White Shark, even the CBR 650F does a better job of it. But when you when you transition from the Dodge Charger and you're going Great White Shark to Dodge Charger to Pan America, it makes more sense. Yes, I agree. This. I don't know. This just looks amazing. I, oh, I can't, I can't get enough. I can't look at it enough. There's some other weird concept photos of it that don't make as much sense, but the picture that everyone's seeing, the one with just the computer designed Harley logo sitting on the side that looks awkward, that obviously wouldn't make sense in real life, but they've taken a shot of one in the woods and everything, and it just, it looks at home. It looks where it's supposed to be. Like, this is the bike you're going to buy, and you and your wife are going to Yellowstone. You know? that Right. Or, yeah, Grand Canyon, or you're going to Maine, or wherever. Like, this is the thing. It looks the business. We have no idea what the performance is going to be, but I have to assume, you know, Harley's got – just looking at everything that's gone into this bike and how it shares – nothing with anything previously existing Harley Davidson. This has been in the works for years. Yeah. You can't put something like this together in less than four years. There's just no way. And how the hell did Harley keep this so secret? Like no one, everyone was just completely blindsided by this completely blindsided. I can't get enough of it. There must've been at least, 50 to 100 people who knew about this. Right. Which is a lot of people. You know, you think, you know, for all you conspiracy theorists out there that think that, you know, with conspiracies that rely on thousands or tens of thousands of people to keep a secret. You know what? People have trouble keeping their nudes off the Internet. And they generally send those to one person. Like, getting 50 to 100 people who are designing and financing and overseeing these sorts of projects, like, 100 people to keep this under wraps for this long is impressive. Yeah. Now, I have reason to be hopeful about the performance of this. 
because they're saying this is going to be released as a 1250, right? So there's going to be two versions of this motor. There's going to be a 975 and the 1250. And I'd be shocked if they don't make a nine, they don't release a 975 version of this later. Or maybe even a lighter version 750 with the other engine that they're doing. But it's essentially the same engine with just a different bore and stroke. And it's the same basic frame as the next bike we're going to talk about, the Naked Sport bike. Well, here's the thing. You know, uh, Indian's already making the Scout 1200 that's making 110 horsepower and, you know, 75 or 80 foot-pounds of torque. Yeah. Which is all you need for an adventure bike. There's a lot of argument that it's a lot more than you need. Right. And that's all it really needs to do. And in fact, I I kind of feel like Harley should go a little more, you know, stick to the Harley kind of ethos and persona a little bit and even drop the horsepower and try and just have the most torque in every category and just make it torquier. See, I don't know. I think with this new, with these new bikes, they're attracting a whole different market and in a way, I understand why a lot of Harley people are going to be upset because Harley's just sort of going, hey, guess what, guys? We don't give a fuck about you anymore. Th- because what they're doing is they're giving all the old guys exactly what they want, which is the cruiser bikes are just never going to change now. It's going to be Milwaukee 8 Motors until 2040-something. That's it, right? The cruiser line's done. It's it's finally four valve and all that sort of stuff, and they want an air cooled V twin, you know, sixty degrees and all that crap. And there's going to be zero innovation. That's just what it's going to be. So they're going to finally get what they want, which is their Harley to never change. And it's actually not what they want, but it's what they think they want. They're going to get it and they're going to be pissed about it subconsciously. Right. Mm -hmm. What, what is the new segment of the market? Get all this innovation, you know, they won't be able to put that into words, but they're going to be miffed. They're going to be really upset, but whatever, who cares? Right. This new stuff you know, the marketing is going to be completely different and, you know, Harley's going to go and make sure that these bikes stack up on performance numbers to the Indians, to all that other stuff, because that's what the new buyers are looking at. They're much more comparison shoppers, whereas the old, the old guard were just like, nope, it's got a badge and shield. That's enough for me, right? The new buyers are not going to be like that. Harley has to win them over somewhat. So it's going to have to be a, at least a decent value proposition, and the performance has got to be there. There has to be a reason for them to buy it, because these aren't bikes that appeal to the Harley faithful. They're for new buyers, right? Now, they will have some Harley mojo working for them, but not like it is for the old bikes. No way. Okay? So, again, the the bike for all the new crowd Oh my God. I love this. The naked sport, the street fighter, whatever they're calling it. Right. So this doesn't even look like it has anything to do with the Pan America, but it is the same basic frame and engine and, and transmission and all of that stuff. Right. So what I've, from what I've gathered, they're kind of making two classes of motor. Yes. 
And I think it was like a 500 and a 750 and a 975 and a 1250, yes. which are basically two motors, but with the cans swapped and some other parts swapped out to make it all work. Yes. But really what they've done is I think they've got like two frames and two different motors. And when you interchange all these parts, plus all the other plastics and everything, you get basically four different bikes. Yes. And when you look at it, oh man, I love this bike. Cause this is, this bike, this picture, which everyone, if you just Google Harley Davidson Street Fighter. Yeah. This bike is exactly what I was talking about when I said American Ducati. Oh yeah. Absolutely. This is, yeah, this is, I mean, some people are going to say there's some like Buellish things about it with the underslung exhaust and, you know, just the way the, the pipe, the, the headers come out together and it's still a V twin and, and all that stuff. But now this is, this is nothing to do with Buell. And I, I mean, the only thing that's kind of Buell about it is the air box coming out the side is very Buell. But beyond that, I don't see anything else at all related. Um, but this thing is amazing. So what's amazing about this is we finally gonna, we're finally gonna get the well-supported, well-known, badass reputation American sport bike. And this one isn't going to be like only for early adopters or people willing to go out on a limb. Harley is putting their full weight behind this. This represents a quarter of their entire new lineup, right? This isn't going anywhere. And you know, like I said, this is the same motor as the Pan America. This is the 975 version. So I imagine by 2022, there'll be, you know, the 1250 version of this bike as well. And who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. even the 500 and 750. I like, think it's I think, hard to say. I think they said they were going to make a 500, a 975, and a 1250 version of the Street Fighter. And they were also going to do a partially fared version of all three displacements as That's well. That's what I'm so excited for. Now, here's the other thing. What I hope they do, because what I would snap up in a heartbeat, is to have the 1250 version converted into a sport touring package like... The Norge. Like the Norge. That would Water-cooled. Be, yeah. And... With, and with good factory support. That might be something that happens, but you know what? If it's south of $18,000, if a 975 or 1250 version of this bike at least partially fared and even with, and because Harley are the kings of this, I can't imagine there's not going to be just a full on full fairing kit available for it at some point. Why would Harley not make that? They're the kings of customization, right? Like they don't even need to make an actual like version you can buy off the showroom floor of those fairings. People will just buy them and put them on themselves. The bike just needs to come ready, equipped to be able to take those on, right? Right. So if I could get one of these in 2022, south of $18,000 with the full fairing, uh, it might be the first bike I ever buy new. I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll be anywhere near $18,000. 
Because when you look at what Harley has done and all the research they've put in and how long they've taken to hide this and put all put everything together, they're targeting a younger audience. They're trying to target a college-age demographic and capture that. Yes. So it has to be affordable. Well, and one it, of them needs to be affordable. Maybe that'll be the 750 or something. Right. But... When you look at the consolidation they've done with, and the the part sharing they've done between all these models, where they've really got two engines that are modular, that take two different displacements with a little bit of part swapping, they've got two frames, and you know between all of this, they're making like 16 bikes. Right. When you look at that, they're doing a lot of... To just mass produce a smaller number of parts and really drive costs down. Yeah. So I think when they announce the prices, they're actually going to be surprisingly lower than what most people expect. Because, yeah, you can produce this and you can say, oh, we're, we're targeting this new market. This is the new future. And then if the 975 version of this bike is $15,000, they've already lost. And I can't imagine that they've done all the market research and they would think that a 975 would sell for $15,000. I would bet that this bike is going to come out for about 12500 If this bike is going to be $12,000, I'll give them a $1,000 deposit today. Like, like Tesla 3 style. Like straight mm-hmm. up. I, you know? Um yeah, it's just so cool. It's it's everything that I like about the Z900, but tweaked to be what I like better. You know, it's that Street Fighter style, but it doesn't go for the crazy insect look that bothers me a little bit. It's a little bit more classic. It's a little Ducati monstery. A lot of people have compared it to the Diavel so far, and I see where they're getting that from but it's also just unmistakably its own thing too and i love it for that right. which harley could not have pulled this off without doing it had to be their own thing exactly and you know the fairings are going to be their own thing too because on some of the promo material they put out in the videos there was like a shot of them doing like clay carvings and there's a guy making a clay carving on one of these right next to an old um xr 1000 with that super iconic, like beautiful fairing that went on those. So it's going to have, I mean, if they didn't make it look something like that, which is a gorgeous legendary bike, there's just no way it couldn't look something like that. And, Oh, you can't, you can't stop me from buying that motorcycle. You can't stop me. If it's $12,000, I've, it's already mine. It's already mine. It's that I'll finance it. I don't care. I don't care if I can't afford it. I'll, I'll finance. I, I want it. like this is, this is the bike that gets me to make fi- bad financial decisions like dudes do to buy FLH bikes. You know, this, mm-hmm. this is my crack. Here we go. This is it. Uh, like I said, Harley has come back to me. It's amazing. Now, um, what I really do want is if they, I, now, they said they were going to make a partially fared version of this. And if they mean, if what I mean, if what they mean by partially fared is like SV650S, I'm out. 
But if, if if they're going at least as far as CBR 650F as partially fared, then I will snap one of those up. No well, problem. Again, even if they just sell it like a like a firebolt, right, with just a um, a headlight fairing, right? Mm. That's something which will, you know, give the bike a lot of character. But again, Harley, these are the masters of aftermarket, like their own aftermarket that they create. There'll be a full fairing or three-quarter and partial fairing option. There has to be. Again, I want a Buell-style, full-fairing, American flag, decaled. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fairing. Oh, yeah. There's got to be. Yeah, like on the RX, the one that they did for the promo. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be something like that. There's got to be. It may, The whole project makes zero sense if they don't create that bike, right? And again, you know... I. A lot of people think that just, like, plastering the American flag on, like, the sides of F-250s is, like, super gaudy. But in the super sport world, you can totally get away with it. It's kind of like... Um, well, just look at Nicky Hayden's racing aesthetic. His whole livery, his whole, like, you know, his whole theme that he created around his gear. Or just going the other way. I mean, it was look just at, all like, red, um, white, and blue, stars and bars, 69, dude. Like, it was just so <laughs> in your face. And it worked, right? Well, yeah. Well, also, you know, just look at, um like... An aesthetic that I absolutely love is any Moto Guzzi or, um, or Ducati with the Italian flag, headlight, body, underbelly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, like, how, how is Honda selling the most red, white, and blue motorcycles, right? This is where Harley comes back in and takes the fuck over that. Goes, no, this is ours, motherfucker, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. All right. <clears throat> now, um, let's go to the live wire. So this is the first one. This is going to be available next year. And we already knew that, but we didn't know that it was just straight up going to be the live wire, right? So now we know they are, they've made some little tweaks to it, but it's essentially the live wire that we saw four years ago. Now, this is where I want to do a shout out and give some credit because four years ago when the live wire project was going on, I was listening to Cleveland Moto and everyone was losing their minds going, Hey, Harley's doing this electric bike thing. Can you fucking believe it? And Phil from Cleveland Moto said a very astute thing. He said, I don't think the story here is that Harley's doing an electric bike. I think the story is that Harley is doing a naked sports bike because that's what the live wire is. It happens to be electric, but in spirit, this is a naked standard sport bike. And holy crap, Phil was completely right. Electric was not the point. Harley was giving us a hint that they were going to go this crazy direction. We never thought they were going to go. So hats off, Phil, you are officially in the Moto Damas club. Well, when you think about it, when you think about how long it would take to design and, well, to build a completely new motor, take on a completely new frame, switch out to monoshocks and all the other tech that they've put on the bikes, mm -hmm. four years sounds about right in terms of development. When you think about when they stopped testing the, the live wire. Yeah. So 
The timeline makes perfect sense. Well, and it also explains why they paraded the live wire around because they went, of all the new stuff we're thinking about, this is the one that the Harley faithful would get the most pissed about, right? And so the whole project live wire thing at the time, Harley even said, we're not going to make this bike. We're just getting customer feedback. Like we're just, this is just an experiment, right? And I think all they were, may have been really gauging was, who responded to it, and who was pissed off. And that was sort of the market research they really needed to know, right? Where there are a whole bunch of younger dudes going like, holy crap, I would totally buy this, and old guys being like, meh. You know, it's kind of like that, um, there was a Top Gear episode when the Honda Element came out and James May got a whole bunch of like old folks from a retirement home and drove them around in this Honda Element and like told them all this information about the car, right? And he was trying to ask the question, like, is this a cool Honda? And so at the end, he gets this group of like 20 old fogies and he goes, so do you think it's cool? And they all kind of like to each other and they go, no, we don't think it's cool. And then James goes, it's a cool Honda, right? <laughs> all the old people thought it wasn't, right? I think that's what they were doing with the live wire. They were like, okay, all the old guys hate this enough. I know this is the direction we need to go, right? So they brought out the most polarizing one. I bet when they, four years ago, they had a working prototype of these other bikes as well. Maybe the engines weren't totally there or whatever. You also have to keep in mind that at the time, Harley was still the bee's knees. And even among non-motorcycle people, the Harley name was, wasn't considered this really dated thing. And the, they, you wouldn't even consider, you know, four or five years ago, you wouldn't even have considered, you wouldn't have automatically said Harley Davidson classically styled motorcycles. Uh, no, you would have, but it wasn't the writing. The people at Harley were thinking about the future so much more than we thought they were. Right. But when you think about the sentiment today compared to four or five years ago, it's not the same. I think they were, I think they were, they were definitely, um, cultivating their image and thinking about what they were going to do to change it and consolidate and move them to the future much earlier than we were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They obviously were. Uh, that's what really impresses me about this so much because now I know that these bikes are possible. I now know that anything is possible from harley davidson now and that was not something i expected to be believing today right that just not at all now here's the other thing if you i think you pulled up another one now there they did show just a picture that we haven't got a name or anything for the uh or not for not for the custom for the other electric bike oh yes 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 yes, yes. so they've got this other electric bike that's kind of a bit of a scrambler also something else i pointed out you could make a classically styled electric bike by just having air cooling fins on the battery instead of the cylinders. Oh, absolutely. So I think this concept picture that we're looking at, um, I think this isn't really a Harley Davidson. I think this is an Alta. Yes. So, yeah, Harley announced a few months ago that it was pairing with Alta to do this electric bike stuff, but they really kept it super secret. And 
So what they're going to do in, in with the whole electric line is the live wire is the premium electric bike product. And then Harley's going to get back into dirt bikes in a big way with these small electric dirt bikes, because everyone knows this is going to be one of the first markets where electric bikes completely take over because range is not an issue. The performance is already way above the the four stroke singles there's just there's no comparison everyone also knows the power delivery on dirt you want the the smoothest power delivery possible and instant torque it's yeah. just it's electric bikes were just uh, dirt bikes are just meant to be electric they just were and so they're going to go into this but also they've got some like concept pictures of like pedal assist electrics yes. and like really small consumer cheap stuff and that's going to get people that never thought they would be on something that said Harley Davidson on the side. Well, that's the thing. On the, it. Um, Lemmy from... Uh, Motorhead. From, no, from... <laughs> <laughs> from Revzilla was talking about this. So he was saying they were, he was, they were kind of bridging the gap between non-motorcyclists and motorcyclists. Right. And this makes perfect sense with... Um, them talking about all the new stores they're going to open. And they were talking about yes. opening in like malls. It's like, yes. how are you going to open a motorcycle oh, dealership? No, in they a mall? so can. But this is something I want to talk yeah, about if more. You're, in a if you're releasing, um, electric bicycles, mm-hmm. like, and, uh, are you, if you're, if you're selling mopeds and you're selling pedal assist electric bicycles, maybe even just plain Harley Davidson motorcycles or hell, sell, Power wheels, tricycles. Yeah, I think there's plans for some shit like that, too. So if you go into a Harley dealer now, they've already got the little kids push bikes going around and they're like $250 or something retarded, right? But I don't think it'll be that long. And I think they've got some like, yeah, little kids electric things as well and whatever. Um, but they're just retarded expensive right now, but it'll get better. The thing is with, um, this change in bikes, this change in aesthetics, they're going for a whole culture change, which is super important to making all of this work. And so what do we know about Harley and the Harley culture? It's all based around the Harley dealership. Harley dealerships are some of the most annoying places to go in the world. If you're not north of 60 years old and don't and you're not or you're not in a motorcycle club or you know a a vet if you're not one of those dudes you know whose ultimate dream is on a saturday afternoon to just be hanging out at the harley dealership with your bike parked out front talking about the new stuff talking about the new aftermarket pipes you want to put on your bike and talking about stage three kits and and all this crap, like you don't want to be there. You know, I know a guy that used to work at a Harley dealership until about like a year and a half ago. And he was like, Oh my gosh, these guys come in and they just drink our coffee and eat our popcorn and blab on about all this stuff that they might buy, but they don't buy it. Or sometimes they buy it or whatever. And they just take up space and they just piss off and annoy all the people we actually want to sell to. They just kind of sit around on the sofas and everything and whatever. Which is crazy because every other motorcycle store I've gone into is either somebody who's saying, I want to buy a new bike. 
let me see what you've got. Or I've come in because my bike's not running and I need a part right now and I'm on a mission. Or I need some piece of gear because something is messing up my riding experience. And I'm coming in. Please, for the love of God, help me as quick as you can so I can get back out riding again. Yeah. You know, or like if I think of like like times I've been in a motorcycle dealership and haven't made a major purchase, I go in there and I'm like, oh, I need oil. I need a, a genuine brand oil filter, some crush washers. I need, you know, just little things. And then, yeah, I, I will always spend some time walking around the floor and just seeing what's new and what's up. Oh, what is, oh, that's what these are going for. Okay. I'll walk through the use section because I'm always like, just for all the people in my life that are thinking about buying bikes that, you know, I'll like take a couple pictures of my phone and like send them off, be like, Hey, buddy, this one's going for like three grand, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And I understand that's going to be annoying, but like I do go in there to purchase oil or something at least, right? I don't just go in there just to hang out there, right? But that's what Harley dealerships are. It's this super obnoxious and intimidating hangout place, you know? I was talking about when I did the new riders course at Harley, you know, and they take us to the parts counter. And, you know, they explain how the woman that runs the parts counter is a pretty big deal because she is a panhead, right? Like, there's just this automatic intimidation built into everything, you know? You know, we said it's like, you know, like being a Doors fan. Like, oh, you think you're a Doors fan? Like, uh, we're all level eight Doors fans. You've got a long, you know, you've got a long way to go if you want to hang out with us. That's super annoying. Who wants to be part of that? And this legacy of, well, that's classic American motorcycles and you're in the club or you're not, you know, it's people aren't willing to drink the Kool-Aid anymore. So these new urban smaller storefronts are such an amazing idea, right? We've already come to grips with the fact that as much as Harley Davidson is a motorcycle brand, it's a fashion brand, right? So they're just sort of owning up to that, which makes it a lot more palatable to me. Right. But if they're also selling electric bicycles and, you know, push bikes for kids and pedal assist stuff and little scooter things as well. Well, there's no reason they can't have, you know, at least one sport bike and and an adventure bike and a cruiser in that shop as well. Well, here's the other thing. Here's the important thing, which is you've got. You know, Mom would have, mom had no problem with us riding bicycles around in Tokyo, right. which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, riding, riding bicycles to school, no problem. But as soon as, you know, as soon as you had a, a motorcycle with 28 horsepower, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Yeah. Now, if you go from, from a, a push bike to a pedal assist bike that adds maybe eight horsepower. And then you bump it up to a, a little bit of a bigger one. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then now all of a sudden you're, you're moving up to an electric motorcycle with, you know, maybe 30 horsepower, but requires a motorcycle license. That's not a big leap. They, they're adding with the, with the electric mopeds. With mm-hmm. the same branding. Yeah. They're adding intermediate steps 
to get up to motorcycling. Yeah. Now, this is one of the biggest things that they're doing because I've heard rumors about like Moto Guzzi and even Aprilia, like a lot of major European brands trying to break into this as well. But no one's released a full line or really done that much hinting that they're going to do this. And Harley hasn't hard committed to this idea yet. But they've, you know, at the same time they've released all these new bikes, they've sent out all these concepts of these pedal assists and they've just dropped little things and this and that just to kind of let everyone know that like, no, 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 no. We are just as much thinking about these next steps as all of you. We're just as relevant. And that's super smart. It's, it's really renewed my faith. And it's just, they, they just did this amazing job of keeping this secret for years. Now, here's the other thing. You know, know, the non-Harley motorcyclists kind of fall into a same category as, as soccer fans, where they'll insist that you call it football. Right. And they'll, They'll kind of go into a mode where they say, you know what? We have no sense. They'll fervently declare that they have no sense of nationalistic pride whatsoever. And why should I love something or cheer for something just because it's American? But as soon as you put them in front of a Buell. Yeah. That whole facade melts away instantly. And they realize, they, re- they think, what? This is an American bike? This is so, this is so weird. This is so cool. Why don't we have this anymore? What happened to this? And then you look into all the history of it's like, oh, we were so close. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are so many people who will, who will, who will take that route initially, but when you put it in front of them and they can see it and it has this distinctly American character to it and it's this American brand. That's producing what they want again. Oh yeah. I think they'll switch it for pretty quickly. Well, yeah. Another Top Gear, um, reference. Jeremy Clarkson once said the bare minimum thing you need to be a gearhead is you have to be into Alfa Romeo. Right. And, you know, if you're going to be into American bikes or just motorcycles in America, if you really are a motorcycle enthusiast in America, the bare minimum standard is you have to think Buells are kind of cool, right? You just have to like, and there's a lot of people like elitist anymore. It's, it's like, it was hell when I was pulled over on, yeah, on the XP9R in Nebraska, in Nebraska. And the cop was asking, what motorcycle have you got? Uh, uh, it's a, it's a Buell XP9R. So is that some, Japanese, but that's an American, sir. Yeah, exactly. How dare you? <laughs> exactly. The, um, I would have said if I was trying, if I wasn't trying very hard yeah. not to get out of a ticket, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, Buells were sort of weird and kooky and no one got it. And then the XB series came out and everyone lost their minds. Like, you know, the XB series was kind of selling okay and it was doing all right. It was very much viewed like the, um, 
like the FZ07 and FZ09 were when they came out in like 2015. It was the hot bike for a minute. It really was. Everyone was talking about them. They're like, whoa, game changer, right? And then it kind of became less cool. And then they went out of business. And then it, there well, was a little it's resurgence. Not, it's not and that everyone, they went out of business. It's that okay, the Harley a, new, a new Harley CEO came on and his first move, like the first words out of his mouth were to shut down Buell. Yeah. More crude, more of the same. Mm. Right. And then that guy left and now we've, now we're at where we are today. Like obviously. So, and, and Harley's clearly been planning this for a long time. Oh, so yes. They, they were probably waiting to reformat their factories to do this. Right. They well, could have just kind of kept like, Buell know, and done this like five years ago, but. Well, I think I think the thing you have to keep in mind is I think they realized very shortly after that they they asked Buell that this was going to be in their future and they needed to do this. But I think what they all the other thing to keep in mind is Do we that, need to start an Eric Buell like suicide watch? <laughs> because he must have taken this like real hard yesterday. Like real hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other the other thing you have to keep in mind about Harley is, you know, this, this whole sequence of events is that they probably realized around like 2012, 2013 that we're, you know, just looking at the numbers, just looking at the raw statistics, they probably saw this a couple years before the rest of us did. And then you also have to keep in mind that you know, you don't turn an aircraft carrier around on a dime. Right. You know, it, there's a whole bunch of lead up, a whole bunch of preparation that takes place and a whole bunch of just retooling factories. Yeah. And now, yes, Eric Buell's vision has been totally validated. Also, I want to point out that about three or four months ago, I can't remember which episode, I've I've nailed ninety percent of what Harley has done in the past few days, or what they've announced in the past few days. We haven't even completely gotten through it. Like, there's still some more models we need to look at. That's how groundbreaking this is. The only thing that they haven't released, which I'm I'm very disappointed in, is the adventure bike does not have a Vetter fairing. Yeah, well, it's got it's got a very unique fairing. Yeah, um, it does. So, but we talked about aftermarket fairings. Let's get on to this last bike because this one is one of the less talked about new models of the four, but this one also might have some of the larger implications. So, the custom model, they don't really have a name for this yet. It's sort of a cafe racer, it's sort of a scrambler, it's sort of a sportster. And a lot of people think that the Sportster line is going to get axed, and this is going to be the replacement. Well, already with the high pipe, I mean, it's a little mishmash of everything, and I think that's very intentional, because this this is definitely a 3D render. But you can see this this is like exactly in between a cafe racer... A flat tracker and a sportster. Yeah, this is the one that's supposed to cut into new Bonneville sales. This is the one you're supposed to buy instead of the Indian Scouts. This is the one you're supposed to buy. Well, there's a big difference between those two bikes. 
But oh, as, I know. As a but that's why, because this a is a mix of everything. That's why yeah. this bike altogether, there's this, like at, a tw- at the 1250 motor and everything, there's a reason to buy this instead of the Scout. With the high pipes and everything, there's a reason to buy this instead of a Ducati Scrambler. There's a reason to buy this instead of a Bonneville. It does enough that each of those other bikes all do individually. This is sort of Harley's answer to the new retro thing rather than the Sportsters, oh. which are just straight okay. dinosaurs. So this, this render right here mm-hmm. is going to turn into like 15 different bikes. Oh, easily. Yeah, it could just with all because, the aftermarket well, first of all, and different it's options. Got, it's and... got soft tail suspension and high pipes and low ground clearance. Yeah. This is going to slowly more, like everyone's looking at this bike and thinks it looks beautiful, which it does. But then it's going to, in reality, it's going to come out and it's going to slowly morph into each individual style that they want. The things that I like about it the most are the things that it does like the Harley Roadster, which is the Sport 1200 with better suspension and double front disc brakes. Um, the elements I like about this the most are what it kind of takes from that. And since, you know, a Sportster 1200 is still kind of good enough for me, I'd rather have the, the Sportster Roadster than this. But I admit, this is a cool bike. I, I, I could own I this bike and say, feel cool on this bike. I wouldn't even say this is competing with Triumph Bonneville. This is competing with like the, the BMW R9T. Yeah, it competes with that too. I, it competes with all of those bikes. That's what's genius about this. There is a convincing reason to have this instead of, like I said, all those hot selling retro-ish sort of bikes, those standard bikes that are selling well. The, the scrambler, the bonnet, like the, the bolts. I mean, all this stuff. If this thing was available now at some sort of reasonable price, everyone would go for this today, right? I understand why this one isn't coming out till 2022 because there's a lot of work still to be done here. You can just tell. Like it's sort of a mishmash. They're just going, Oh, oh it's yeah. the custom. This is just a promise of custom mismatch things that are going to be done with this platform. This is four or five different bikes with various displacements all mashed into one concept, which right. needs to be split out and developed. And everyone says the new Sportster. And yeah, I kind of see that too. I see the Sportster line dying and it becoming this like smaller range of customizable cruisers. And you know how we were talking about like a modular bike? So, you know, you order the bike, you order the engine, and then it's like, well, what kind of exhaust? Well, what kind of seat? Well, what kind of handlebars? This might be a sort of like, you know, th- they may have just put together this really bombastic package of options here. And it may be like, instead of buying, you know, you know, right now they offer Sportsters and all sorts of different flavors. Maybe it's like, all right, here's your Sportster. Let's build your bike here in the store. Let's get on the computer and let's figure out the options. We're going to price it if out and then we'll build, get the thing delivered. If you could build this bike in the same way that you can build a desktop computer. Yeah. And they've done it to that level of universal, like configuration compatibility for that whole platform. That would be amazing. But that would be next level Harley. That's what this looks like. And again, 
who could pull it off better than Harley? No one. They're the kings of options, right? They are. Now, I do think we should just pull back a little bit and just say we have no prices. We None of this is confirmed. We just have the same information everybody else is going off of. But it's painting a very con- a compelling picture. It is. Oh my gosh, it is. You know, I, I've, I've said in past episodes, I want to be a Harley fanboy so hard. And I haven't been able to because their options have been kind of blah. Well, you, it's like, you know, I, I kind of like wearing proper safety gear and I don't like, you know, hanging around having racist conversations. So I don't know if I can really do the whole Harley thing. I mean, that's blowing it out of proportion. That's not what Harley culture is, but you know what I'm saying, right? And this is just opening up the door that Harley Davidson is just going to be American motorcycles in general again, not just catering to this cruiser crowd and nothing else, which, you know, there was a way they could have gone into the future doing nothing but cruisers, but they definitely needed a little bit of a culture shift. They needed to get away from the skulls and the flames a bit, right? And they are doing that. Like, holy crap. Now, uh, again, something we haven't talked about, and this is a big culture thing as well. The 975 and the 1250, especially the 1250 for a V-twin, falls in a racing category. Are we possibly, possibly, like in 2025, going to get a Harley-Davidson bike in World Superbike? Does it go up to twelve fifty? I believe for the V twins it's twelve fifty. I thought it was twelve hundred. Well, I'm sure they could just bore one only to twelve hundred then or something. I mean it's possible. Oh, yeah. it would, right? Well it wouldn't be hard. I thought it was twelve fifty. I don't think I don't think on a dime they could just pull it out in like twenty twenty one have a competitive Harley Davidson. Because wasn't the big Panigale twelve fifty or twelve forty, twelve forty nine or something? Eleven nine nine. Oh, oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. Well, yeah, they could do an 1199 and put it in World Superbike. Well, that may turn out. Well, here's the thing. Harley has promised us a hundred new models in the next three years. Well, with all the soft tails and all that stuff, whatever, we're probably like technically 40 models into that or something. So, well, we were also expecting like 25 different sportsters. 40 different soft tails, yeah. 10 new road kings. But uh, apparently we're we're getting way more than we were expecting. So may, maybe there will be some premium race class models. I mean, I would expect if Harley were to get competitive, I would expect them to go into flat tracking and the electric dirt bike seat. Well, first. they're already in the flat tracking. Harley Davidson right now is essentially just paying for a flat track racing league to exist. And it's just Harley versus Indian. And no one really gives that big of a shit yet, but it's catching on in California. And Harley just kind of pays for everything for it to happen. And I wonder if that's a little bit of a prototype to get people gauged on how interested they might be in Harley doing other kinds of racing. 
<laughs> it's possible. I mean, because Harley definitely did some racing with Buell, you know? Like, it's it's not unprecedented at all. You know, and like, you know, people do think of Harley Davidson as this giant powerhouse company. Harley Davidson's not that big. <laughs> what they're pulling off here is kind of amazing for the resources they have, right? Their culture has been dominant here, but they kind of don't sell shit for bikes. I mean, they sell like what, like a quarter of a million bikes a year. At the height, I think the most they ever sold was like three or four hundred thousand motorcycles in one year, which is a lot of motorcycles in the U.S. Sure, but worldwide, you know, I I don't know. Well, have to keep I don't know mind. how many motorcycles the big four sells, but uh, ludicrous numbers. I would guess but. all of them combined, you're looking at fifty, sixty million worldwide every year. Well, you also have to keep in mind that like. Ducati sells about 40,000 motorcycles worldwide every year. Yeah, but they just do a MotoGP team, a very poorly funded world superbike team, and then they just sell like whatever boutique bikes they can in whatever dealerships. And that's that. Like, they, you know, I mean, how many models of bikes is, is Ducati ever really working on? One or two. Right. And they're just replacing what existed in the line before yeah. that. They're working on one or two and they're selling six or seven at a time. Well, yeah. And, and Ducati will like make a run of bikes and then just sell them until they're running low. Then they'll make another run of them. Right. You know, there are 2018, you know, uh, monsters that were built in 2016. You know what I'm saying? They, it's a small production. Yeah, it's a very small company that just has an excellent reputation. And yeah, Harley's big as compared to Ducati, but in the grand scheme of motorcycles, like they aren't a, they aren't a tenth of what Royal Enfield is, for example. There's no, so what they're doing is really impressive. Really impressive, I think. The amount of development that's happened here, the vision, the marketing, the whole change. I'm blown away. I'm super impressed. I, when, when did Honda ever switch things up this big? Never, right? Well, well Honda has always had the lower CC scooters in Thailand and China and they've, they've, they've owned that for, for years. Well, Honda... They've always had that in their back pocket. Well, here's the thing. Honda, this is actually... And I will go completely against you on this, which is that what Harley-Davidson is doing is totally a Honda move. Yeah. Which is... If you look at all of the different... If you divide Honda up into its constituent components in terms of class, in terms of CC style... Honda will take a particular class of motorcycle. They'll produce the best thing in that class. They'll dominate it. Then they'll rest on their laurels and they'll keep selling the exact same model year after year after year until they fade out and they become irrelevant. 
And then all of a sudden, they'll pour millions of dollars into development and come out with the next great thing all over again. But they do it one bike at a time. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like if you're looking at... Um, Earlier this year, they did the Goldwing, and they made a bit of a splash with that. And then... Well, right now, the, the horrifically stagnant bike is the Shadow. Yes. Which is still three-valve. Like, what's going on here? I want to go into something real quick. Um, when we were talking about the Shadow, I said there was a very, very good reason that it's three-valve and it was too complicated. But I found a... a a very quick way to discuss that. Um, it's a low revving bike, right? It's mm-hmm. a 750 twin with, um, you know, it has the stroke that it needs to have to make the torque that it's got to have to get off the line, this big heavy bike that it is. So it needs to make a certain amount of power out of just a 750, which is why they gave it an extra air intake port so they could get more air and better compression. But the RPM can still only be what the RPM is because of how long the stroke is, right? Otherwise, the motor is just going to shake itself apart. So it doesn't work exactly this way, but you can kind of think about you don't need a second exhaust port until you need to move that much air back out that quickly for the higher rpm you need the extra intake port to get the higher compression but you don't need to go to full-on four valve until you're going to start going north of like seven eight thousand nine thousand rpm because you got to get the air back out again quickly to make the whole thing happen so it makes sense that they reduce complexity and they reduce moving mass by only having it be a three valve motor. It's actually a smart thing to do because a four valve would just be a fourth valve is just unnecessary in that setup. I would agree with you if it wasn't a metric cruiser. Because why not just go? F- because when you look at a shadow compared to an 83 Sportster... Because it's an American market bike, and you still need to put your fat girlfriend on it. So it's got to have the torque. It's got to make power that way. Well, unless you need to move, like, 900 pounds off the line... This is America. <laughs> you often do. <laughs> All right? Well, the bike's, like, 500 pounds... And then you add a 200-pound dude and his 200-pound girlfriend, you need to move 900 pounds off the line. Okay. Well. I still agree. The bike has existed as it has with no innovation for way too long. Yeah, but there is a reason. Is this where electric bikes are going to save the day? Let's hope so. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> all right do we have anything else to say about harley and all this i mean more information is going to come out um i mean hopefully you know people have been informed somewhat well, here hopefully and get super excited AIM. oh that's what we should talk about at aim so i happen to know that harley is going to have a very big presence at aim right and They've been talking about how there's going to be some super secret reveals at AIM. I think something big from Kawasaki and Harley's been talking about things that they're going to do there. And there are going, it's been mentioned that there are going to be pre-production and pre-release test bikes there 
for those lucky enough to have media credentials like us. So I think there's a very good chance that there might be a Harley Street Fighter there. There's sure as shit going to be a live wire, right? I will cage fight. I know. To get the test ride on the Street Fighter. Exactly. Like, we need to have our asses there at Mandalay Bay at 6 a.m. at the whole outdoor section where they're doing the test rides. And, like, yeah, just be ready to fight people. Like, brass knuckles and everything. So, I, I'm pretty confident that we're going to get to ride something out of this lineup, it says Harley Davidson on the side of it that's new, and we'll report back to you in the middle of October. I want to see, well, in terms of unreleased models, I want to see the Street Fighter. I want to see the Pan America. I want to see a pedal assist bike. I want to see an electric scooter. I want to see a Power Wheels kids tricycle. Yeah. And I, I want to see car. like a razor scooter. Yeah. Like electric razor scooter. I think a Hover lot boards. of that stuff's going to exist. I, I really do. I think Harley's going to be parading this stuff around because, you know, again, we, they get, we get the live wire next year, right? They said it was like six months ago. They said in 18 months, you will have it, right? So it's going to be like July, August next summer that, that the live wire goes on sale, right? But they've still got to keep all this hype going. So they're going to have to parade these bikes around, you know, everything for people to test them out and get looks. You know, if there's not one that someone can ride at AIM, there's definitely going to be pre-production prototype models for us to look at and sit on for sure. I mean, there can't not be. They can't drop something this big and then just do nothing in terms of promoting it. Because they've got to keep the hype around this for two years. So this is just what they're bringing to every show. And I think them announcing it this early is really smart because it we're really excited about it. But it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I think they kind of need a little bit of time to accept that it's coming. What I really am looking forward to and really want to see the reaction to is all of these new bikes at Coda next year. Because there's no way Harley is not going to put up a proper tent and have bikes on show at Coda next yeah. year. No, that's true. But, I mean, that's still not going to be as extensive as what we're going to get to see at AIM. Well, it's not going to be as extensive, but well, it, well, it may be because it'll be almost, you know, Six months later, but... There'll definitely be live wires that we can ride, for sure. Right, but these will be actual on-display bikes in the in the support paddock amongst the general public to just view and comment on. Oh, you're not talking about just the test bike. Yeah, because this year, Harley's only presence was test rides. They didn't even have a booth, per se. They just yeah, they had test no rides. bikes on display. It was just, if you know what Harley you want, and you want to test ride it, you can sign up for it. Which was their only presence, which seemed really lopsided. Yeah. But, there's no way they can't... They can't put all these different bikes... 18 months later on that they're going to start selling and not have a tent 
to yeah, display. Yeah, I agree. There's going to have to be. And that's where that's and that's where I want to go not to look at the bikes cuz we're going to get to see them already. That's right. But I want to see the general public reaction to it. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting because it'll, I imagine at some place like a MotoGP race, it would all be very positive because everyone would be like, Oh, look at these Harleys that aren't cruisers. This is exciting. Hey, it's an adventure bike. I have an adventure bike. Hey, it's a sport bike. I have a sport bike, but now there's a Harley one that I can, I can connect with. So it won't be like seeing the regular public go towards it, but it'll still be something to see. Yeah. Okay, so let's move a little bit towards wrapping this up. Uh, we're going to beg again for reviews and five-star ratings. We've already gotten a lot more. Uh, well, not a lot more, but people have been giving us ratings and reviews, and thank you so much. We finally got some uh, some nice written-out five-star reviews to balance out our two-star review, which I'm still so excited about. Um, and I'm going to ask you for this. This is a move I heard someone do. Um, David Allen Coe's son, uh, Tyler Mahan Coe, has this great podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. So if you're a fan of country music, look up Cocaine and Rhinestones. It's a wonderful show. It's really well done. Super, like the research is amazing. He does this great thing. He never spent a single advertising dollar. At the end of every episode, he said, if you enjoyed this, just share this episode with one person that you think will enjoy it. Right? We don't have any money to really promote this show, but it is starting to grow. People obviously like it. And, you know, so many of you that are listening, the vast majority, like 80% of you are staying with us, you know? The number of times I hear or see downloads come in, people give one or two listens, then that never pops up again is just non-existent. Almost everyone stays with us. So if you introduce this show to a motorcycle buddy of yours, there's a really great chance you've just created a listener. And that's great for us because, you know, we're doing this aim show thing and we've got some, some bigger guests that we're trying to line up. And just the more listens that we have, the easier it is to make the show better and better and better and get to do bigger and bigger things to make the show better and more entertaining for you. So don't just assume that everyone else in the world is going to find this show and it's going to become, you know, bigger on its own. I mean, it will eventually on a long enough timeline, but you can really help us out by sharing this with people. And so with that, we're going to run the outro and I'm going to remind you to stay safe and stay tuned. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motor side. Mm-hmm. Cool.